This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, this week's Pasha is Pasha's bow. Talks about the three Makos, the Maka of Arba, which is locust, and the Maka of Choshech, which is darkness, and the Maka of Makos Bukhairas. We're going to talk about Choshech, the Maka of darkness. Okay? So, we're going to open up, well, let's, let's look inside. It says the following. So he didn't, he didn't use his stick, he used his hand. Stretch out your hand to Shemayim. There'll be darkness in Mitzrayim. And the darkness will be tangible. You'll be able to feel it. Part of it. So, by Yet Moshe, it's Yodal Shemayim. He lifted his hand to Shemayim. He choshech hafeila. B'chol Eretz Mitzrayim shoshes yamim. For three days, it was dark. Le'ro ish as achiv. A person could not see his friend. Le'ikomu ish mitachdov. Shoshes yamim. And the second set of three days, they couldn't even get up. But in where the Jews were, there was light. So, Rashi, the Mephoshim say that the second Choshech, the following, let's learn Rashi. The first three days of Choshech, you could not see a person right next to you. It was that dark. But the second three days, Choshach Muchbal became much darker. You were sitting in a chair. The darkness was actually physical. You couldn't get up. You were standing for three days. You couldn't sit down. It was like ink. This room you can make dark, right? By turning off the light. But you could also make it dark when the lights are on. How? Sort of like a black ink would come into the room and cover the whole room, right? So the second... Three days of darkness was like a, re- a physical darkness, not a lack of light. And because it was a physical darkness, people could not get out of their chairs. They could not, if they were laying down, they could not get up. Why does Hashem do that? Yoshev and Yachalamai. If you sat down, you couldn't get up. Oymid and Yachalashev. If you stand, you couldn't sit down. Why does Hashem, okay, so make it dark. Why do you think it's so dark that nobody can move? Says Rashi, in that generation there were bad Jews. They didn't want to leave. They didn't believe in, in the Yeshua. They didn't believe Hashem's going to take them out. They didn't, not only they didn't believe, they didn't want to leave. They were very happy being slaves. They died in the second set of three days of darkness. That they shouldn't see um, that all these Jews died. One fifth, the Chamushu Alu Yisrael, one fifth of all the Jews made it out of Mitzrayim. That was 600 Jews. That means there were 3 million Jews and only 600,000 made it out, which is really a catastrophe. That's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Six million Jews, 3 million Jews and only 600 made it out. So Rashi says the reason that the rest of them didn't make it out was because they didn't believe, they, were, they, they didn't want to leave. They were happy the way they were. And they didn't believe that Hashem was going to take them out. So, so how would Hashem make it that the Mitzvah wouldn't know that all these Jews died? So if he just makes it dark, right, you can get up and walk around, you're going to see what's going on, maybe, or bump into people, Burying their dead. But since they were stuck those three days, they couldn't see what the Jews were doing. The Jews buried... Four-fifths of all the Jews were buried. Only one-fifth got out. So the question that we have is... Well, first let's learn the Zayar, and then I'll tell you the question that we have. So the Zayar says the following. talks about Mashiach. The times of Mashiach. He says that in the times of Mashiach, we're going to have the same situation. 
four-fifths of the Jews are going to die. And only one-fifth is going to make it out. And I'm sure everybody in this room and everybody who's watching wants to be in the one-fifth that makes it out. So we can figure out how the one-fifth in Mitzrayim made it out, then we can do the same thing. And if we can figure out how the four-fifth did not make it out, we do not want to do the same thing. So we're going to go back to Mitzrayim. We're trying to figure out what's going on. Anyway, so in Pasha Shmos, says the following. I have to skip some of it. Okay. Hinei, Tzilas HaGeula, in the beginning of the redemption, Yeh B'Tzoros G'dolos Yisrael. Klai Yisrael is going to go through many Tzoros. Could be the beginning of the redemption was the Holocaust. The Geula is not a moment. The Geula is a process. And in time of the process, many Jews will die. Were six million Jews, four-fifths of the amount of Jews that were living at that time? Very possible. I don't know the math. I'm not, I don't know the math exactly. But it could be that in the Holocaust, four-fifths of the Jews died. So that was the beginning of the process of the Hamush Malu. He Nitzchilas HaGeula, the beginning of the Geula, Yeh B'Tzoros Kedos Yisrael. Um, there's going to be a lot of tzaras. Certain Jews will give up because of the tzaras, right? Most of the Jews will go off to the They will leave the rest of Klai Yisrael. We have to. They will become the enemies. They will join the enemies of Mashiach. You hear what's going to happen? What's the worst anti-Semite? A Jew. Because a Jew knows what a Jew is. Yeah, yeah. So it's not going to be so easy. Okay. And then he says the following. Rav Shem Bayechai says, "Oil mishizam as man as the ayvei to the person who lives in those days." The tikkun sheyavai kosh b'achu lifkin as the elu shuashkin agdaish l'dais man agalus when Hashem comes to redeem the shkina from galus. Again, the Rambam says that any Jewish person who wants Mashiach because someone died and they want them to come back to life, or they're sick and they want to get healthy, or whatever reason they want that Mashiach should come outside of wanting God to be revealed, right? Any person who does it for any other reason is called an apikiris. The only reason we should all sit here and want Mashiach is because we want Hashem to be revealed to the world that Hashem echad echad. All the atheists and everyone else should see that there's a God in the world, and that's we don't want Mashiach for us. We don't shake because I want to see my grandfather. I want to see my father who passed away. And there'll be two little amazing. I'll say, hey, dad, how are you? I miss him. If that's why you want Mashiach, you're not Picarus. The only reason you're allowed to want Mashiach is that God should be revealed. She says that a Kishbaf is going to come and he's going to look in general to see who is standing together with the Shekhinah. And he will look into everybody's deeds. But there's not going to be that many tzaddikim. In the times of Mashiach, whoever has emunah, he will see Mashiach. So it seems to be that in the times of Mashiach, there will be a very big test in our emunah. And those who stick with the Muna will be saved, and those who don't will perish. This is a Zoya that was written thousands of years ago. It's talking about the UN, right before Obama left. All the nations and their representatives, they will get together. What, are the, what is that called in the UN? Um, there's a word that they write a... Oh, come on, girls. You know, what do they call the UN They're, What they when they wrote against the, uh, Israel? It's called something. What? Sanctions. Oh, thank you. The one guy in here. Okay. 
They're all going to make sanctions against all the all the nations of the world, the whole UN, even America, abstained, right? Everybody will make sanctions against the Jews. And they'll make they'll write all kinds of edicts against us. They will all get together with one Eitzah, Mamash, what happened in the UN, against Klai Yisrael. We vote choice, our choice. They're going to bring a lot of choice. Uz Yisrael, Yisrael, I'm with, okay. She says, so it's going to be very, very hard for us. And it's going to be a very, very big test. Now listen to what he says about the war. The whole of Neo Eilam in the whole world, Yishabu Tech Mo'eroish, when the Kike Slime will hide in caves and in, in deep places. They, they will know that the only way to save themselves is to dig deep and to hide in caves. Which is what? Which is nuclear. Right? Where do you, where do you go when there's a nuclear war? You go down in the Miklat. And listen to the word he says. There will be a great, a great shaking in the whole world. And he says, they will go under the ground, and that's where they're going to hide. And then, the Mashiach will come. So anyway, the reason I'm reading this to you, he says something There's nothing new. It's nothing new. All the kings in the world, the presidents, will go together to fight him in Muhammad. And many of the Pritzay Yisrael, the Jews that are off the derech, they will turn, they will flip, they will go off the derech, they will join our, and they will join them to fight against Mashiach. In the times of Mashiach, the world will become dark, like in Mitzrayim. Chamesh Esrayamim, 15 days. Not six days, not seven days, 15 days. Why? Why will the world become so dark for those 15 days? Many Jews will die in that darkness. When we saw some Tia Kaparasam, but because they died, that will be their forgiveness. And they will come back to life. They won't be like people who are thrown out. So he brings down the Zoyar that, that even the Jews that are off the Darach and joining the Goyim, their Misa, their death, will forgive them. Okay, now we're going to go back to... I'm going to go back to Mitzrayim. But for a moment, I want to tell you something that I said last night. And of course, my emails were, like today, very, very busy, which I knew. Because this is sort of like a big chiddush, like we had by the werewolf. So he writes in the Sefer, I have to just find it for a minute, by Choshech. Something amazing. Something amazing. Here we go. Makas Choshech b'Yemois Hamashiach. The Maka of Choshech in the times of Mashiach. Rashi Pirish. Shayik Yisrael Baisadar. The Jews in Mitzrayim were sinning. Shalai Ratzolatzeh. They didn't want to go out. So it seems to me the sin that they were doing is that they didn't want to go out. Who makes the Mishraim may have failed and they died in those three days. Kadesh Leira Mitzvah Who Bezayah says, when Mashiach comes, there'll be Choshech again for 15 days. Be Mutsi Risha Yisrael, Shana writes him Gula. And the Rosham of Yisrael will die because they don't want the Gula. Now, this is what I said last night. I got a lot of reaction. The Chen Kasa Besefer Shabuli Halekim, the Sefer called Shabuli Halekim says, Shakol Elu She'enu Mitzapim Lugula. All the Jewish people who are not waiting for Mashiach, waiting for the Geula, 
even though they happen to be alive when Mashiach comes. It just happens to be in 2017, right? Mashiach is coming. And these people happen to be alive. They will not be able to see Mashiach come. They will die. But the ones that are waiting and davening, someone just told me today that her grandfather has a suitcase underneath his bed since he's a little boy. Special clothing set aside for when Mashiach comes. And the suitcase, he's like 90 something today. And the suitcase is still under his bed. So there's a person who's waiting for Mashiach. Right? Even though they're not alive anymore, they will they will come back to life. Not chiasamaisim. We're not talking about chiasamaisim here. They will come back to life. Let's say let's say Mashiach has come tomorrow, right? Mashiach is coming tomorrow. All the people who were waiting for Mashiach, but they died three hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, seven hundred years in the Holocaust. So nobody can live for more than one hundred twenty years. So they were waiting for Mashiach. The reason they didn't see Mashiach is because Hashem took them from the world. So since they were waiting for Mashiach, Hashem says, since you wanted to wait for Mashiach, and you're waiting for Mashiach, now when Mashiach comes, you're going to be dead? You're going to take all the dead people, bring them back to the world, so they could be at the same time that we're here with Mashiach, they could be here at the same time. Then they'll die again and get Tchis and Mason later. But they have a right to see Mashiach come. Either they're not alive, that's right. Hashem's going to bring them back. Because if that's what they wanted, then they have a right to see Mashiach. So the day that Mashiach comes, the people that are alive and are not waiting for Mashiach, they're not going to see Mashiach. And the people that are dead, right, who are waiting for Mashiach, they're going to come back to life to see Mashiach. So we're beginning to get the picture of what the secret is to be alive, to see Mashiach, and what happened with the four-fifths of Klai the four-fifths of Klai Yisrael didn't want to leave Mitzrayim. And they didn't believe that Hashem could take them out of Mitzrayim. So therefore, they had no right to see Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. Just like the people who don't believe Mashiach, right, are not waiting for him, they don't have a right to see Mashiach. The one-fifth of Klai Yisrael who wanted to leave, who believed that they could leave, they were the ones that were saved. So the, what, what the secret is to be the one-fifth that exists and doesn't, doesn't, by Mashiach's time, doesn't die, is based on your emunah. Now the question is, what's emunah? What is really emunah? Is it that something happened to me bad, but I believe that Gamzul Taiva, it looks bad, but it's really good, or it's never bad. There's no such thing as bad. Everything is good, what Hashem does. The two very different levels of Amuna. It's sort of a story that I heard once about somebody asked me, what's the difference between Bitochon and Amuna? I said, I don't know, there's a lot of Shiram on it, whatever. Amuna uh, is the belief, Bitochon is acting on it. She said, I gotta tell you a story. He said, a rabbi got up and said the story, the difference between Bitochon and Amuna. He says, there was a guy in the circus who used to walk tightrope. You know, in the circus, they walk tightrope. Usually they have a net underneath, because if there's no net, you fall and you die. This guy walked without a net, so it made it more exciting. One day he gets a phone call. They're inviting him, a million-dollar TV show, that he should walk across the Grand Canyon. Take a wire across the Grand Canyon. If he walks from one side to the other, you're going to give him a million dollars. It would be a great show. Everyone's going to watch it. But he didn't want to die. So he asked his friend, hey, you know, you've been watching me in the circus for years. You think I could do that? I mean, there's, there's wind. It's the Grand Canyon. There's wind, and if you look down, there's no bottom. Um, his friend's like, come on, you you did it in the circus with your eyes closed. You did it on one foot. You did it on a unicycle. This is nothing. He says, really, you think I could do it? He says, absolutely. Calls up the TV show, I'm in. So they fly to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And they're standing by the Grand Canyon. He's looking at this wire going across the Grand Canyon. And he's like, I'm out. I'm not going to make it. It's windy. I'm not going to make it. I'm out. His friend's like, are you crazy? You're here. The TV's here. Everything's here. Don't back out. Now you're going to make a million dollars. I believe in you. You can do it. It's nothing for you. You can do it with your eyes closed. Maybe do it with your eyes closed. You won't sit down. Sure. I mean, we don't want to die. What are you going to do with the million dollars if I die? 
says, listen, I'm your friend. I would never let you die. I love you. You can do this. You sure I can do this? You promise I can do this? I promise no questions. One million percent you can do it. He says, you sure? I'm sure. Okay. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk across the Grand Canyon. On one condition. You stand on my shoulders. No, 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 no. I can't do that. One second. You're so sure I won't fall. What are you worried about? I'm sure you won't fall, but I'm not putting my life on danger. That's not real emuna. In other words, in concept, I believe, but in, in real, real, real action in my life, that I have a suitcase underneath my bed? No, I'm not. That, that, I, that's, that's already a little bit... There was a Kohen, a Kohen, right, I'm a Kohen, so... In one of the avodas in the Beis Hamikdash, a Kohen brings a bird, a turtle dove, um, as a carbon. The way you shech the bird is the Kohen grows a thumbnail that's very, very long. It's called Malika, not Shita, Malika. It grows a very long nail. They sharpen the side of the nail like a knife. He holds the bird. He pulls the head back. That's how he does the shechita. It's called Malika. Two birds, a chatas and an ola. So there was a man, I'm talking 40 years ago, not a long time ago, in Washington Heights in Breuers that had a nail that was this long. Now, Germans are very, my grandmother cut her nails every two days. They're very clean. They're very, there's no long nails, God forbid, or dirt under your nails. So here you have this German Jew and he's got this long nail. So they asked him, all your other nails are so short, what's with the long nail? He says, I'm a Kohen. Mashiach's going to come. They're going to bring birds. But the other Kohanim, they're going to have to wait a year to grow such a nail. So what happens when Mashiach comes? Nobody has the nail. Nobody can bring the birds for carbon. So I want to be ready. So his whole life is this one long so that's a person who has real amuna. That's a person who's ready to go on the guy's shoulders to walk across. Not, I, oh, I believe Mashiach's coming. So then how come you don't have such a nail? It's both. He acted on it. But if you have me talking, you have amuna because you're acting on your amuna. But that's... Also, you would live a different life if you knew that Mashiach was... If you really believe it's coming tomorrow, you're not watching a movie tonight. No way. No way you're going to watch a movie tonight. Mashiach's coming tomorrow? Hashem Shekhinah we're going to see? I'm not watching a movie tonight, you crazy? So if you watch a movie tonight, or other things, right, then you don't really believe. Because if you really believed, how can you watch a movie tonight? So the real moon is, is like you're saying, acting on it is, is living in it. So they were all living in Mitzrayim, but the, the four-fifth didn't believe it's going to happen. So Hashem said, you don't believe in it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So they all died. There's a story, first time I ever heard it. You know, usually I, something happens during the day, the day of my speech and my share. So yesterday I went to Davin. I actually woke up late because we're working very hard on this. I hope you're all coming to the Shabbaton. If you're not, I can't help you because we don't even have a closet. Baruch Hashem. We have like room for 650 people in that hotel and we have 800. So I don't know what I'm doing with the other 150. We'll figure out whatever we have to do. But we close registration, whatever it is. Baruch Hashem. And I hope we're, I wish I had a bigger hotel. It's very hard to say no. But the phone's been ringing all day and there's nothing we can do. We don't have any room for classes or anything else. So anyone who's buying the next hotel or wants to come to the classes, it's not going to work. We just don't have room. I don't have room in the classrooms. Amit Hashem, Mashiach will come. Right? So I was thinking that today, I'm giving my share, and I'm driving here, and I'm thinking, you know, I, the hotel that we usually use in Connecticut is much bigger than this hotel in Jersey. But this year, it didn't work out. It wasn't available. I looked at it too late. So I was thinking to myself, I should call them tomorrow and call Connecticut tomorrow and book for next year. But I'm giving a share on Mashiach. <laughs> if I think Mashiach's coming, why would I book for next year? So I have this little thing in my head, like, what do you do? Like, why, why are you calling for next year? Like, Shabbaton will be next to the Beis Hamikdash and the Ezra's Noshim, right? 
So I don't know. I have to ask my rabbi what to do. How can you give a Shia Mashiach and then go book a hotel for next year? So we have to, I have to figure that out. In other words, what's your, like, if I really believe Mashiach, so then why am I making any reservations for anything? But if you don't make any reservations, you're not going to get it. So what's the deal? I don't know. I'm going to ask my Rebbe tomorrow. Like, what's your shtadlus? You, if you really believe it, so what am I doing? So, no, we don't need a hotel. We don't need anything. It's going to be here tomorrow. So we'll have to figure that out. But anyway, this is a fantastic story. And I never said this story before because yesterday morning I went to Davin. And I have a friend. And he Davin's usually the 8.30 minion. And I Davin at the 8 o'clock minion. I don't usually even see him. But yesterday, we both Davin at the 9 o'clock minion. For whatever reason. So I know the reason. So we finished Davin. He's like, you giving shit tonight? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I got a story for you. So he tells me the story. I never heard the story before. And I love it. Because I like when the ending, when you cannot figure out the ending of a story. This story does a flip at the end. That's amazing. So, and it has a lot to do with Amuna. So there was a king who used to go hunting. When he went hunting, he always took his doctor with him. Because when you go hunting, you get injured. And he wanted to have his doctor with him. And they go hunting, whatever it is, and the king is cutting something with a knife, and it slips, and it cuts his finger really deep. But his doctor's there. So he asks his doctor to help him, and the doctor takes out his uh, creams and his band-aids and tapes it all up, and it's nice and tight. And the king looks at the doctor and says, so I'm going to be okay? And the doctor says, maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? He's like, that's weird. Like, he's supposed to say yes. Okay. Fine. They go back a week later. King's finger is all infected. Comes back to the doctor. He says, Doc, my finger, look at it. It's all red. It's infected. He goes, you're right. It is infected. Okay, he takes off the bandage. They soak it in salt water. They put creams on it and everything. Closes it up. So, Doc, it's going to be okay? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. (laughs) This is weird. Okay. Comes back the next week. His whole hand is swollen. Infection is spreading. Says to the doctor, you got to help me. What's going on over here? The doctor says, oh my gosh, we got to do something. Okay, I have other medicines and you don't have to take, it's not going to get better without antibiotics. Here's antibiotics, you take these antibiotics plus the cream, plus soak it every night. So doctor, if I do all that, it'll be okay? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe not. Anyway, comes back a week later. It's green, it's blue, it's like in really bad shape. The doctor looks at it and goes, wow. Antibiotics didn't work, and nothing worked. We're going to have to amputate your finger. He says, what? He says, I don't know, I never saw an infection like this. We have no choice. We have to amputate your finger. Listen, doc, if you amputate my finger, I'll be okay? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. So the king said, that's it. No more maybe yes and maybe no. You are no longer my doctor. You are being put in a dungeon. I will not feed you. You will die of hunger. Maybe yes, maybe no. And he throws him into the dungeon. This guy's in the dungeon, starving. And the king, three days later, they cut his finger off. He's going hunting. Missing a finger. He's going hunting. He's going hunting, but he has no doctor. So he goes out with his, with his soldiers, right? And the, they get attacked by these savages. And the, all the horses are running all over the place. And the savages catch, catch the king. And they bring them back to their village. And these are like the Aztecs and the Incas. They did human sacrifice. And here they had this human, right? That wasn't one of them. Big party. They're going to make, they're going to sacrifice him to their god. So they tie him up. And at night they have all the torches and the dancing. And they're ready to sacrifice him. And they put him on the altar, right? And they're going to shaft him. And the witch doctor, who's like the head of them, comes over and he has the, the, the knife to shaft him. And he, he sees the king's hand. And he says, oh no, he's missing a finger. We can't sacrifice an imperfect sacrifice to our God. Our God will be very angry with us. He's of no use. Let him go. And they let him go. Because they're not going to sacrifice a sacrifice with a blemish. And the king runs home. And he runs to the dungeon, to the prison. And he runs into the, to the doctor who's like half dead from starving. And he runs and he goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. Doctor says, what do you mean? He says, you saved my life. You cut my finger off. You saved my life. 
and he tells the doctor the story and the doctor starts screaming at him you're wrong you're wrong you saved my life he says what are you talking about he says you see if you wouldn't have put me in the dungeon I would have been on you on that trip and I was always with you and they wouldn't have sacrificed you because you didn't have a finger they would have sacrificed me I would have been sacrificed so by you putting me in the dungeon you saved my life I never heard a story like that because if you think about it it's amazing that his loss of the finger saved his life the bad thing that happened to the king saved his life and the bad thing that happened to the king's doctor saved his life so if you want to have a Muna and you look at a story like this you see one guy got his finger cut off the other guy's starving in a dungeon if you just look at that picture and you don't hear the end of my story you don't hear that he was captured and trying to bring him as a sacrifice if I stopped at the point where they captured him and they're bringing him as a sacrifice and your head the king's missing a finger about to die and this guy's in a dungeon about to die Remember, Wallstein, why are you telling us a depressing tragic story on a Wednesday night and you go home and you say he's weird he just decided to tell us a story about a guy who lost his finger and a guy who's starving in a dungeon. Why would Rabbi Wallstein tell us that? One minute after that, I told you the rest of the story, how it saved them both. And Muna means that when they cut off his finger, he said, thank you, this must be good. And Muna means that he got thrown into the dungeon, he goes, thank you for saving my life. See, I have also that kind of weird Muna. I'm sure a lot of people do. And then I get disappointed because I don't see the whole story. You know, I'm, I'm not, as you know, the shifts will start at 8.30, really quarter to 9. I usually am a little bit late. I'm not such an on-time person. I'm working on it. I used to show up at 10 o'clock, remember? I'm not such an on but I'm working on it. So I have missed flights in my life. Where I got to the airport, and it's really 10 minutes to the flight, and the gate's closed. And it's not fair, but they, they always say, half an hour before the flight, we have a right to close the gate. So you come running up, gate's closed. They will not open its FAA rules. Once they close that gate, they don't care if you're a doctor. They don't care who you are. It, they close the gate. It moves away from the plane. You're done. I'm standing there 10 minutes. What do you mean? So what do you always think when you run and you hit traffic on the belt and your way said there wasn't supposed to be traffic and the last minute there's traffic and it's supposed to take you 35 minutes and it took you an hour and you run to the plane, you're out of breath and the gate is closed. What do you think? 100% that plane's going to crash. <laughs> Hashem saved me. There was traffic. Red light. I didn't make the flight. I'm sorry. All you people are going to die. Right? And I'm going to have a story. How I missed the plane. Hashem saved my life. I wasn't on the plane that crashed. Right? Yeah, well, and then you follow it. You call the airline to see if it landed. And they're like, not only it landed, but it landed early. And you're like, what? So then why did I miss the plane? And God's saying in your ear, because you left late. <laughs> but that's what we always think, right? We always think that. We don't know the cheshman. So if it's your fault, it's your fault. But sometimes we don't know the cheshman. So really, you don't get ever to see the whole story. Very unusual. We don't live long enough. 120 years is not long enough to see a whole story. To see a whole story, you have to live from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. You have to see all the different parts of the puzzle. So real Imuna, right? The real Imuna, they were Avadim in Mitzrayim. It's true, they were an Avadim in Mitzrayim. But really, the Abdus, being a slave in Mitzrayim, was to make us into a nation. And not going into Israel right away, but being in the desert for 40, every single Jew that was in Mitzrayim, 20 and over, I believe it was 20 and over, died in the Midbar. Except for Yoshua and Kalev. Because God didn't want the slave mentality of the Jews that came out of Egypt to, to be the new mentality of the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. So the slave mentality had to die with the Dor HaMidbar. So sort of, it was a purification process, even though it looked so bad. So Emunah really means that there is no bad. So a person who believes in Mashiach, right? His whole life, he's waiting for Mashiach, and he's actually acting like he's waiting for Mashiach, then he has a right to see the Mashiach that he believed was coming. 
And therefore, this very unbelievable shot here is that Hashem will make them alive enough to see that he's here and put him back. But enough to see that he's here and the Tchir Tzameisim is going to be much later. So what happened over here in Mitzrayim and the reason that they died in Choshech in darkness was because they did not have that belief that there would be a Yeshua. And if you don't believe in it, then you don't have a right to see it. And it's very interesting because the Chidah says that Choshech, the word Choshech, Ches, Shen Chaf. Why did God give the Mitzrim that Makkah of darkness? And he says, if you take the word Choshech and mix the letters, it spells Shakach, to forget. The same letters, a Shin, a Chaf, a Ches. says, the darkest thing in the world. I wish I would have had this in my book. The deepest darkness in the world is a person who doesn't have Akaras Hatov, who doesn't have appreciation, who is a Kafoy Tayv. Therefore, the Mitzvah got Choshech, because it says all the way in the beginning of Shemos that they forgot Yosef. These Mitzvah were only alive because Yosef. Gave, in the seven years of starvation, they had seven years of food and ended up making more money and controlling the whole world. Yosef. There was a new kingdom that didn't know Yosef. That is the greatest darkness in the world. Not having appreciation, being a kafui tov. I was just talking to um, my teacher, my staff, and we were talking about. I said, they said, what is? What, I said, what is the hardest thing of working with with the kids of this generation, whether they're on the derech or off the derech, what's the hardest point? Like, what's the hardest point working with a kid in our generation, different than my generation? What do you all think? Appreciation, period. Not the Torah. They don't appreciate anything. Everything is coming to this generation. Very, very spoiled. And that is the worst midah that exists in the world. Because, so the teachers were saying to me that, it's very easy to work with a kid who appreciates you. But when you do everything from a kid and then they go into your pocketbook and steal your money, it's like, how could you go on? And we had this long discussion and I said, I'm, I'm a rabbi for 30 years and I work with, it doesn't really matter off the derech, on the derech, but a little bit, but the kids in the street have no appreciation at all. They're survivors. So it's not about appreciation. It's about surviving. And every, the whole world owes me something. Owes me something. I had a girl in my office she was cursing her parents with four-letter words in front of me, out of control. And her father turns to her and says, even if it has nothing to do with even if we weren't Jewish, I got you for your 18th birthday as a present, a brand new Volvo. Doesn't that deserve a little respect? I'm sitting there I'm just listening. And she turns to her parents, like these exact words I'm saying, she turns to her parents with disdain. Big deal. It's your job to buy me a car. It's your job. I would have told that to my father. It would have been my job to put my head back on my neck. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm 18 years old and I drive. You're my parents. You have to buy me a car. I said to her, your parents work for you? They have a job? Their job is buying you a car? Like, like my father didn't buy me roller skates when I was 18. A Volvo. A $50,000 car. That's not the reason someone should have given up the aim. But at least, so say, she should have said, okay, thank you for the car, but what did I have to do? No, no, no. It's your job, ma. Your job to give me a credit card. It's your job to pay for this. It's your job for that. Everyone's entitled to everything. And we enable everybody. The greatest choshech is shakach. The greatest choshech is when someone forgets where they come from. When someone forgets, why is that such a bad midah? Not, not appreciating. Because in the end, that is the midah that's going to separate you from God. What's your relationship with Hashem? If, if God, I'm entitled to everything. I don't owe you anything. Like, I don't got a daven. What do you mean? And, and this I happen to have heard today from a girl. God put me in this world. Who asked him to? You put me in this world, you got to take care of me. 
answer that? I said, well, the answer that used to be is, well, you seem to like it. You're not trying to get out of the world. But today we can't say that to everybody. Because some people, you'll say that to them, they'll be like, I, I, if I was allowed to, I'm out. I'm out. The answer really is that it's an neshama. And the neshama had to come back to the world. And the neshama comes back to the world for the good of the neshama. To be able to go back to its place in Shemayim to be part of God. Because the neshama is part of God. So that's really why you're here. But most of us, while we're here, we, we, we you know, we, we can accomplish. And I, what I said to her is that you're only thinking about, God, you put me in this world, so you owe me everything. And that comes from the selfishness of like, God, you put me in this world, I could do anything. I could help people. I could make people smile. I could help others. The selfishness, the person who's selfish has no akar satov. It's all about me. So I don't owe you anything. The whole Gemara talks about a person who's older, but he's saying on the shulchan aviv. There's different laws because he's eating on his father's table. And in my generation, we had crazy akar satov. The smallest thing. Thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. Today, there's no thank you for anything. Everyone has it coming to them. So the Mitzrim, they forgot who gave them food and who made Mitzrayim so rich. So Hashem said, that is darkness. Kafoy Tov, that is the greatest darkness in the world. In fact, there's a Mishnah that says you're forced to come here, you're forced to live here, and you're forced to leave. Right? A person dies, doesn't want to die, and doesn't want to be born, and sometimes he doesn't want to live here. You're forced to be here, but there's a reason that you're here. And she doesn't just drop you in my Rebbe, like Amalil always says, you think you're here to eat pizza? She says the same thing all the time. You think Hashem put you here to eat pizza? That's why he put you here. He put you here to accomplish. But when you're selfish, so you don't look at that, you're like, well, you put me here, you got to take care of me, instead of, you put me here, why did you put me here? What can I do while I'm here? That's the way you're supposed to be thinking. That's not a selfish way of thinking. But uh, you put me here, why, don't, why am I not rich? And why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? So you're not thinking about other people. You're not thinking about why you're really here. The reason that we're really here is to be the sock in the world. And the reason that we're really here is that people should say, look at the daughter of God. Look what she does. She gets up in the bus. That doesn't happen anymore either. We had a rule. I don't, I'm not ragging on, on, on Kleist's rule, but maybe some men are listening to this, because this is really for the guys. It's also for women. Never, as a child, was I allowed to sit at a kiddush until all the adults were seated. There was no such thing, kids sitting on a table, until all the adults were seated. The kids stood behind the chairs. And then, when everyone was seated, if there were some chairs, the kids sat. You never took an adult's chair. Today... You go to a kiddish, the men have nowhere to sit because it's all kids sitting. That's wrong. That's bad chinuch. The kid has to learn that an adult comes first. This generation, kids come first. Kids are enabled. Kids, kids, you have to give everything to the kid. It's, it's wrong. Children should know the adults eat first and then we eat. Every kid should go to it's the father's fault. They have five kids. They take five seats. This guy has five kids. They're, they're eating lunch and shul instead of going home to eat lunch. Why are those kids sitting at the table before the adults are sitting at the table? And in the mentality today, they'll tell you, no, Wallerstein, you're wrong. You're selfish. You have to give the kids to eat first. No. An adult has to be respected. And therefore, I give up my chair in the bus. They don't do that anymore. They don't do that. I sit, I've, sat, I've sat in places where they're... They don't get up for the old people. They sit there with the earphones on, the old lady sitting there. Who gets up for them? The 60-year-old guy gets up for the old lady. The 18, the 17-year-olds, nothing. Even good girls. You sit there on the train. You get up. Open the door. It's not, it's not normal. And it's, it's affecting relationships between husbands and wives and everything else. Because if you come into a marriage, it's all about me. What did you do for me? What do you mean? You owe me, that, does, that cannot work. You cannot have a relationship like that. It's what can I do for you, not what did you do for me. 
It's a very different marriage. When each one says, what can I do for you? Instead of, what did you do for me? And then you play the game. Well, I did this, and you did that. But you didn't do that, but I did this. So then you have a checklist. Marriage is not a checklist. That all is chayshech. That brings darkness into the relationship, into the marriage, into how you bring up your children, into how you relate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why a person who is not appreciative, how can you have a relationship with Hashem? <coughs> your whole relationship with God is based on appreciating what He gives you. Okay, anyway, there's a very, <coughs> we'll end with this, a very beautiful, very beautiful Torah. It's a play on the words, but it's something that's, I heard many years ago, that's absolutely amazing. When, when Hashem brought darkness, it says the following, listen carefully to the words. There was a great darkness in Mitzrayim. A man did not see his friend. And a man could not get up. Right? For three days. So the rabbi said the following. There was great darkness in Mitzrayim. What is the greatest darkness that could be? Lo ro ish is achav, when a man doesn't see his other friend, his other person, when he's all about himself and he doesn't see the other people. And he's not willing to get up to help someone else. So his play on words is that there was choshech. Why was there choshech? Because a man was not seeing another man. He didn't care about the other person and he wouldn't get up to help him. So the greatest choshech in the world is when people don't see other people. When they're not willing to help other people. It's a very nice return to say on Shabbos. There's one more thing on the Karm Pesach. This week is Karm Pesach. Talks about the Karm Pesach. It says something very interesting. It's a whole speech. I'm not going to give it to you tonight. We'll be here for a long time. You can take a teeny, teeny drop of it. So Hashem says the following. Take a, a sheep and shechtim and take some grass and dip it in the blood, right? And put it in the mashkov and the, t- and the two mezuzos, men hadam ha-shebosof. Now, where was the blood put? The blood was put on the inside. The blood was put on the inside of the doorpost. And Hashem said that there will be a, a terrible mush, uh, mashkis, a destroyer angel, Hashem is going to come, and any door that doesn't have blood on it, whoever's in that house will die. The Bukhar will die. So they asked the question, why don't they put the blood on the outside of the door? If you are trying to put a sign out on your door that we're living here, we believe in you, Hashem, don't hurt, no, no, don't kill us, you wouldn't put it on the inside of the door, you would put it on the outside of the door. But here, in Mitzrayim, Hashem said put it on the inside of the door. How is Hashem going to know when he goes past all what's going on on the inside of the door? Why don't they put on the, the blood on the outside of the door? And the answer is that putting the blood on the outside of the door doesn't mean you really believe. Putting the blood on the inside of the door, what's going on inside the door is what's real, not what's on the outside of the door. So Hashem said, I'm not interested in your chitzainius. I want to see what your previous is. I want you on the inside to look at the blood and to understand that you brought a carbon Pesach and I'm going to take you out of the triumph. To put the blood on the outside of the door, Hashem says, I see it. So I put the blood on the inside of the door, you see it. And if you see it and you understand that I'm going through the triumph, then I won't hurt you. But the sign is never... So my whole speech and there's a whole drush on this is that not new from everyone I'm talking to, but a lot of people put the blood on the outside of the door. It's all about what I look like on the outside. I dress a certain way, I look a certain way, but inside, inside, oh no. There's a girl who came to the office today, she looks very, very from, she is very religious girl, very good girl, and she said, I want to come, but all the rooms are sold down, and whatever it is, you know, if I was a girl that's Machal Shabbos, you would take me. You'd find me a room because you'd be like, you want to help me? But because I keep everything, because um, I keep everything, you're not going to take me? You know, everybody tries to manipulate whatever it is. So I said, are you telling me you're Machal Shabbos? <laughs> is that what's going on? 
She goes, Rabbi, a lot of people look like me and they're not, they, what, what's going on inside is very, very different. I'm like, I know it's what I do. I know what you're talking about. Because Bochel doesn't want the blood on the, on the outside. He wants the blood on the inside. The blood is a sign. It's an ice. It was a sign. He wants a sign on the inside of you that, that, you're clo- that you believe in him and, and, and that you want to do the right thing. He's not into Titanius. He's into Pneumius. He's into what's going on. So a nation that's just becoming a nation and leaving Mitzrayim, the first lesson that God wanted to show him is, you need to see it. I don't need to see it. You need to see it. And if you see it, and you internalize it, then I see you. But if you don't see it, just because you put it on the outside, I don't see you. And that was a very big lesson in the creation of of Klai Yisrael in Mitzrayim. So, maybe all be to have the Amuna and to get on God's shoulder while he walks the tightrope across the uh, canyon and say, Hashem, we're with you. And Bezrat Hashem, our next Shabbaton, maybe this Shabbaton, why next Shabbaton? We're over, we're over full anyway, we don't have room, so maybe when Mashiach comes, we'll have room in Eretz Yisrael. See, you're not allowed to want Mashiach for that reason. You're only allowed to want Mashiach to show Hashem to be... It's, it's, it's a very big mistake. Every time I say this, people, they don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a clear Rambam. The Rambam says, you want him for any other reason than seeing God's screen of being Megala in the world, you're an Apikaris. That's the word he uses. That's pretty severe. So you have to stop thinking, like, I want Mashiach because I have a cousin that's sick and she'll get better. That's not why you want Mashiach. You want Mashiach because of the pain of Shekhinah seeing its children in such crazy, unbelievable pain. And we want to take that pain away from the Shekhinah. And that's why we want Mashiach. In the schutz of that, in the schutz of true Emuna, we should be the, the one-fifth, the Mitzvah Hashem. And it could be that all the Jews today are the one-fifth because we lost six million Jews. So I don't know what God's Cheshman is, but um, we should be able to leave Mitzrayim. And you know, girls, that the Gemara says that the women were the ones that got us to leave Mitzrayim. In this chus of the Nashim Tzadkaniyos, this Agel mi Mitzrayim, and, and when Mashiach comes, it will be the same chus. It will be the chus of the women. That's what the Gemara says. And I teach it to the boys all the time, and it's like, they go to Dat Yaimi, they go to Kailal, they sit and learn, right? They wear Tzillin, they go to Minyan, and for some reason, I tell them, you should know that you guys, you're not bringing Mashiach. You take tomorrow. You're not bringing Mashiach. You're keeping us alive till Mashiach. The learning of Tyra. So who's going to pull us out of Golas? Gemara says the women. So I ask them, how come it doesn't bother you when I say this? Like, guys don't like to hear that. I'm learning a whole day. I'm in Kailo. My wife, you know, she's taking the house. She's cooking. Uh, she's bringing Mashiach. I'm not. Right? Tamatari Kedayukulam. They never complain when I tell them this. I said, why, does, why don't you complain? So a guy got up. He says, you really want to know Rabbi Wallace? And I'm like, yeah. So Rabbi Wallace, let me ask you something. Is Mashiach here? I'm like, no. It's their fault. <laughs> so that's started by Adam, and it keeps going. So, like, why should we complain? If it was up to us and he's not here, they would say it's our fault. It's their fault. So my next year, Mitzvah Shem, it won't be your fault anymore because you'll be here. Mm-hmm. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.